I'm David Marcus, host of Drinks with the Deal. And today our guest is Matt Goodman, a partner at Solvent and Cromwell in New York. Matt, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, David, and great to be talking to you. We're going to talk about several things on today's podcast. First of all, your background and what it's like to transition from being an associate to being a young partner. Some of the work you're doing in Silicon Valley, what you're seeing in the M&A market at the moment, as we're hopefully finally coming to the end of COVID, how COVID has and hasn't changed M&A agreements, and then finally, what you do to decompress from the job. So with that, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to have the practice you do. Uh, Thanks, David. Yeah, I grew up in Montreal and I stayed through university there, worked a little bit, and then made my way to Michigan for law school. You know, Michigan and Ann Arbor was a really great experience from an academic perspective as well as on a personal front. You know, some of my closest friends are from law school and those I stay most in touch with. And I went from doing a summer internship at a law firm in Chicago to getting some experience working at Groupon when it was a startup. And during that period, it dawned on me that New York and M&A is what I wanted to do. And luckily, I got an interview with Sullivan and Cromwell and got a job offer and started in the fall of 2011. And I haven't looked back since. And it's really been an interesting ride in the sense that if you would have asked me 10, 15 years ago if this is what I'd be doing, I would have had no clue. But I'm really grateful and happy that this is how it all turned out because I really love what I do. And I also really appreciate the colleagues I get to do it with. As you were an associate, were there particular deals that were especially pivotal for you where you realized you really enjoyed the practice and it made sense to you? Yeah, I I think there were a couple of deals early on in my career that really created the foundational building blocks to my career. And one was with Joe Frumkin, who is the head of the M&A group at SNC, my entire associate career. And things really kind of clicked on that deal in terms of putting all the pieces together and what it really meant to be a great M&A advisor on transactions. And it was a mix of getting a lot of leeway and responsibility, but with practice points and mentoring and a safety net along the way. There are a couple of instances that really stick in my mind. One was, and this is actually very indicative of the collaborative nature of the work. I got a markup back from Joe, and and this is back in the day when you know people actually did hand markups and hard copies, and so. He was waiting for me on my desk and I was flipping through and I got to a point where I saw, what were you thinking? And I, I thought my career was done. I had committed some mortal error and I sheepishly walked into his office and he just matter of fact said, like, no, I just want to actually talk through this with you. I want to get your perspective. And despite this cavernous experience gap between us, he wanted to talk it through and he wanted to share perspectives. And I thought that was a really good lesson that you can't just take things for granted. You can't just do things all on your own. It's a process where you need to talk issues through. 
And then the other point that sticks in my mind is we were heading into final negotiations on this deal. And he must have caught a glimpse of my scribbled notes on the margins of kind of the last turn of the agreement. And in a very mentoring kind of way, I said, that's just not acceptable. Like we're trying to get this deal done. And we took time to work through a bunch of different options to compromise. And that's one of the most important lessons I got from that deal, which is winning every point isn't uh, the goal, particularly when they're not that important, but having the big picture and being reasonable and working with the other side to actually get the deal done on terms that your client is going to be happy with, being treated you know, as an equal and getting those lessons one by doing them, right? Just getting to do the deal as a pretty junior associate and getting that hands-on education from Joe was something that has really helped my career the rest of the way. And you've also done a lot of work from the time you were a junior associate with AB InBev. Yeah, that was the second kind of wave of deals. And I was going to say singular deal, but actually... I remember Frank Aquila asked me to help out for a few days on the Medello AB InBev transaction, probably almost 10 years ago. And instead of three days, it's been about 10 years of working with the AB InBev team. And I learned a ton on that transaction and working with AB InBev. Most importantly, actually, understanding the client's business and actually understanding that there's more to the transaction than just the core M&A pieces, understanding what a deal means for the client going forward with its stakeholders, with the regulator, right? You need to be credible with counterparties on your next deal. You need to be credible with antitrust regulators and all sorts of other regulators going forward, particularly when you're doing a lot of deals as AB InBev has done over the years. And then the other lesson that it was really important for me was being practical. And and this is somewhat similar to what I learned from Joe, not winning every little point, but seeing the big picture and getting things done in an efficient way. We had probably two or so weeks to do a deal that probably should have taken a couple months and focusing on key issues and the material issues and not getting bogged down with the noise. Obviously, you know, executing and getting all the details right are requirements, but having that level of confidence in those issues so that you can focus on the material issues was a really big takeaway from that experience. And you became a partner just a couple of years ago at the beginning of 2020. Talk about that transition from being a senior associate to being a partner. How does the job change? How do you think differently about how you have to relate to your colleagues and your clients and start building your own client relationships? Yeah, it's a great question. And now that it's been a couple of years and I've reflected on it a little bit, on one hand, the transition was really smooth. And as I was a senior associate, I was getting more and more responsibility with AB InBev and develop a relationship with the client over a long period of time. And so got an opportunity to build those client relationship skills and thinking long-term about things and not just focusing on getting this particular item taken care of off the to-do list, but what it means for your contact at a client and their career and their development, what it means to work with associates 
you're going to be there for a long term and you want to spend the time teaching them, developing them the same way you know, Frank and Joe did for me and a lot of others. And so you have to triangulate your time between executing and getting the deals done for your clients and, and the task in front of you, but also allocating your time to maintaining and building existing relationships, building new relationships, mentoring, training, staying on top of issues and trends. And to do all that at once almost seems impossible sometimes, given the nature and the volume of the work. But like I said earlier about figuring out what's material, you're going to have to focus on giving yourself enough space to do those other things. And like I said before, getting the deals done, knowing the details and executing our requirements, but also as a partner, clients are counting on you to provide judgment on questions that don't have a clear answer and to help with strategy. And if you're not allocating enough time to that, you're not doing your job successfully. And once I figure out how to perfectly allocate all my time, I'll let you know. But I think it'll be a few years before that happens. I remember Frank Aquila's telling me one time when I asked him how as a partner, he had a sense of which associates would become partners, that he said the clients almost themselves tell you that when they start calling the associate for that kind of advice rather than the partner. I mean, did you find that in your time as a senior associate? Yeah. And it goes back to our first question on this topic. You seamlessly transition because you acted like a partner as a senior associate. But yeah, one, clients tend to reach out directly at a certain point in time. But I also think that's a byproduct of how the firm operates. And particularly in the M&A group, you see a lot of partners bringing associates into the mix and telling the client, like, this is your guy, this is the person you can reach out to, you should have every confidence in them. And not taking this territorial mentality over relationships, which you you see sometimes, and that breeds confidence not only as you know you as an associate, but that breeds confidence in the clients. And obviously, they're there as a safety net and a resource, and they're not going to disappear completely. But giving you that space to operate uh, and that relationship starter with clients is exceptionally important. One of the areas you've focused on in the last year has been Silicon Valley. Tell us a little bit about that, why you find it interesting, how, especially given continued travel restrictions, you started to develop some of those relationships. Yeah. Northern California is obviously a geography with lots of big, interesting companies, lots of talent in and around the area. There's traditional Silicon Valley companies, but a lot of the newer tech companies and startups are heading out to the East Bay, heading to San Francisco. And those clients have a lot of interesting issues, whether it's M&A, corporate governance, exec comp and tax. And there are a lot of great firms in California already. We've been there for 20 years in Northern California. But the full service New York law firm, I think, have a lot to offer in terms of the full picture of issues that come up with those companies as they develop into more mature, sophisticated companies. 
And it's actually really interesting to get to know more people, get to experience a bit of a different culture. You know, Northern California is definitely different than New York in a lot of ways, but the legal issues are generally pretty portable. So we're hoping with the folks we have out there and me and some others spending some time out there that we'll develop a lot of great relationships over there. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in the M&A market now. Yeah, it's shifted a little bit from where we were last year and part of the year before where the pace was just frantic and torrid. And you've seen the data, the records were broken and then broken again uh, in terms of deal volume and deal size. I think what we'll see now is with one, the, the market dynamics are a little tougher. They're a little bit less bullish. The Ukraine-Russia conflict is obviously having an impact. Uh, Interest rate hikes, the antitrust and regulatory focus in general is giving people some pause. So deals will definitely get done. I mean, the pace will slow down. People will be a little bit more cautious on their deals, and they'll take a little bit more time and thought to execute. But we may see a little bit of dip in activity Of course, that's what you have when you are coming off of two record-breaking years back-to-back. But I I still think we're going to have a pretty good amount of activity, at least based on the things that I'm working on and and talking to folks uh, around the office and bankers. Their plates are still pretty full, but I, I do think there'll be a little bit more time and effort on the execution front in 2022. Are you seeing any sectors that are particularly strong or perhaps showing a little more softness? It's interesting. So healthcare, life sciences, and tech, which have a bit of a bullseye on their back from the antitrust regulators, have seen pretty robust M&A activity the last couple of years. And I don't see that slowing down in a material way. So I think those areas will continue. The energy sector, probably alternative energy sector, may see an uptick based on partly the conflict in Russia and Ukraine and people having to take a second look at energy independence. But also that was the trend in any event going into alternative energy sources. Add in the SEC proposed rules on climate. I think people are going to focus on that area over the next little while. And then... What are you seeing in terms of the agreements themselves? Obviously, there was an extraordinary amount of discussion and focus and negotiation in the the first year of COVID on what ordinary course meant, on MAE clauses. How has that settled out and has it settled out? So I think it's largely settled. We've seen some of the bigger name cases either get decided or settled. And we've also seen some decisions in Canada on similar grounds, MAE, ordinary courts, that have taken a little bit of a different view than the Delaware courts, but largely have ended up in the same place, which is this seems largely to be the fair and equitable answer or conclusion. And my takeaway is actually that when you're thoughtful in your drafting and you understand how all the pieces of the merger agreement are supposed to hang together, they're pretty resilient documents and they're pretty adaptable to circumstances, whether it's a worldwide health pandemic, whether it's geopolitical conflict, the pieces of the puzzle work together when you understand them and you think about them a little bit in advance. When you're not careful, which is 
something that could happen regardless of the macro micro dynamics going on. Not careful. That's you know where you get controversies and disputes on deals. And obviously, when the markets tighten and the economy tightens up a little bit or is going sideways, financial buyers or or strategic buyers that may have some buyer's remorse may be more inclined to litigate to come to you know either a litigated outcome or a negotiated outcome. Traditionally, you don't see a lot of cases on big M&A deals get fully litigated to a decision from a court. It's almost gamesmanship to get to a negotiated outcome. And I think if the economy goes south or sideways, you'll see more of that. But like we see, the, the agreements have really done a good job of hanging together and not dictating, but driving the outcome based on fairness and equitable principles. Finally, you mentioned that a lot of your friends are friends you made when you were in law school at the University of Michigan. How do you maintain those relationships as an associate when the time pressure for any associate is just extraordinary? And you talk to associates and they say that even just keeping those friendships going is really hard given the demands on their time. No, it's a great question. When I figured out that balancing act, I'll have a retirement plan. Um, (laughs) But my general approach has always been make time for the right people. And if they're a good friend, they'll understand if you're busy. But you shouldn't lose sight of friendships and your relationships because one, it helps you have perspective on things. And if you're so singularly focused on uh, the one inch in front of you, you can't actually do a great job. You know, you need, you need to give yourself a little break. You need to give yourself some time to have some clarity and some downtime once in a while. But making time for people that you know are there for you and making time to decompress is really important. And putting the right amount of energy and actually working hard at it, just the way you work hard at your job, you got to work at making time for people and relationships and doing things outside of work. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Now, this was great, David. I'm glad we got a chance to do this, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. For Drinks with the Deal, I'm David Marcus. 